Uh, I don't know if you realize the blessing of having two Bama boys in the house. I mean, I mean, what in the world? I don't know if you're, if you're paying attention to what God wants to do here in this place. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you had Lee Ridings from Georgia a couple of weeks ago. You got the two Alabama boys tonight. I mean, like, don't resist the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm saying. Don't, don't resist what God is trying to do in your hearts and lives. Listen, I had to, I had to joke about that just because, uh, man, it's always, it's always good to have another brother from Bama here. And uh, what an amazing ministry. Uh, what an amazing ministry. And uh, I hope you're taking advantage of that. And I hope you heard the plea uh, that we need people to come and see the field and labor and help. Uh, and that's actually, man, I, I just met Bradley tonight, but I think he, he read the sermon notes. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit already knows what we need tonight. And so tonight I'd ask you to open your Bible to John chapter 4. Uh, tonight we are going to uh, present the second message in our REACH conference. Last night we, we looked at John chapter 4, and, and man, we looked at Christ. His, his need to go into Samaria, right? We, we, we talked about his priority, and, and last, uh, or yesterday morning, we, we talked about how Christ settled the issue of priority. He must needs go through Samaria, and, and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was something that was obligated, essential in his life, and we, we just made the parallel to our life last, or, or yesterday morning. I think I preached last night. It was yesterday morning uh, that I preached, and, and, and we made the parallel that missions, missions for us is something that we must do. It can't be a might. It can't be a maybe. It has to be a must. And we have to settle that issue now. And if you're still on the fence, let me encourage you to settle the issue tonight. Maybe last night or yesterday, last night, you, you were still struggling. Maybe yesterday morning you were struggling. And you just haven't settled the issue that this is something that God can use you to do or that it's something that God wants you to do. It is. It, it's a must in our life. And Christ settled the issue of priority. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. And, then, and we saw yesterday morning that he settled the issue of his provision because when his disciples came back on the scene after his conversation with the Samaritan woman, they, they offered him meat. And remember, they had left and, and went into the city to get meat and they missed the entire conversation that Christ had with the Samaritan woman. And they came back and, and they saw him talking to her. And they didn't really say anything and, and didn't really engage. And she goes into the city and they offer Christ meat. And he says, listen, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Christ settled the issue of, of truly what was his fuel, what was his provision, what gave him sustenance. It was doing the will of, of God the Father that had sent him to do the work of making disciples, to do the work of restoring Israel, and ultimately to do the work of redemption on the cross of Calvary. And then we saw that, that Christ also settled the issue of his purpose because he said it's not only to do the work, but it's to finish the work, right? It, it's to finish it. And, and many times as Christians, we're guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're guilty of starting it. Man, we, we start coming to church, or maybe we start discipleship, or we start ministry tools and training, or we start LFBI, but the truth is many times we struggle to finish. And Christ settled that issue and said, listen, I want to finish the work. And we saw that he did finish it, John 17, and we, we looked all through the Bible of examples of, of how God and God's men started something and then finished it. God wants us to finish the mission. He gave us the mission. He wants us to finish the mission. And so last, man, last night, yesterday morning, we talked about the, having the right motivation. 
And so tonight we want to talk about the methodology of the mission. And let me just make this statement. If we have the right motivation, but we don't have the right methodology, we won't get the right results. In other words, we could really be motivated to do what God's called us to do, but if we don't do it the way that God's called us to do it, well, then the results are going to be skewed. And, you know, there is that old saying, right? There's more than one way to skin a cat. But the truth is there's probably the best way to skin a cat. I've just offended all the cat people. Okay, so uh, listen, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just seeing how many... I've, people I can offend before I get done with this conference here. And so we've got engineers. I think Vinny got the accountants last night, and now I got the cat people. And so, who, by the way, who in the world ever came up with that phrase? Who in the world wants to skin a... Oh, wait, never mind. Okay, so, so tonight we want to dive into the methodology because we saw that in John chapters 2, 3, and 4, God has given us a, kind of a microcosm of missions in these chapters. And tonight we're going to be in John chapter 4, We're going to pick up in verse 35, and let me read verses 35 to 38. I want to read the passage. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dig deep in the Word, and prayerfully God will give us what we need tonight. John chapter 4, verse 35, the Bible says, Say not ye, and and Christ is continuing this conversation with his disciples, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Both he that soweth and he that reapeth that may may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, whereupon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. So let's pray together and ask God to teach us tonight. Father, we need you tonight. God, thank you so much for the privilege of being in this place, at this church, God, in this conference. Lord, thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for what you're going to do. God, challenge our hearts tonight from your word. Thank you for the, the update from, from Bradley and, and, God, just a powerful ministry and that's impacting lives all over the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, Lord, looking past just the physical needs but to the reality of a spiritual eternity and a place forever that can be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, thank you for that. And I pray tonight, God, as we, as we look at the passage, Lord, you teach us the right method to accomplish the mission. We'll give you the glory for that. We ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. And so, and so this, this evening, if you'll just grab your notes, and if you want to follow along in the, in the notebook, we're just going to go through it real quick. But point number one is this. If we want to have the right methodology, number one, Jesus Christ wants us to look. He wants us to look... And that's the first action that we need to take. Verse 35, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. And so the command is to lift up our eyes and to look. And here's what I know. I I spent some time in physical therapy, and it's kind of cool. We need to talk later about the medical connection because I spent about 20 years in physical therapy. And I'll tell you this about your eyes. Wherever you're looking is where you're going to go. As a matter of fact, man, there's, a, there's so much we could talk about in the medical field of, of your visual influence on your gait or your walking, your balance, your ambulation. You can even have one side that's eye dominant, more prominent than the other side, and that can affect your depth of field. Or if you're an athlete, the way you throw a ball. Listen, what you're looking at determines so many things in your, in your physical body. 
And yet, spiritually, God also is helping us understand that we have to lift up our eyes and look on the fields. God wants us to look. And the truth is, looking is going to determine where you go, and looking is going to determine what you truly desire. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect it. And, and I, I know I have a problem with Toyotas because if you, if you looked on my YouTube like search history, man, of all the things that I look at, you're going to find like, well, you know, Toyota stuff and coffee stuff and fishing stuff and, and maybe some more Toyota stuff. And, and what's interesting is the more stuff I watch and videos, I got corrected yesterday uh, concerning using the phrase Toyota from the pulpit, by the way. Thank you, Doug. Uh, and so... He said, hey, we, we don't say that around here. And, uh, you know, it's Honda. I was like, okay, <coughs> Toyota. Okay, but here's what I know. The more I watch Toyota videos, you know what I want to do? I want to watch more Toyota videos. And then I want to flip over to Facebook Marketplace and find all the used Toyotas in my area, right? What I'm looking at determines my desire. What I'm looking at determines my direction. Proverbs 27 and verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. They're never satisfied. And can I just tell us, listen, our browser history and our YouTube history reveal truly our hearts. It it truly reveals what we want to look at. And man, I've got a lot of statistics on screen time. God, this is crazy. Like as I began to study this, God began to just convict me a little bit of, of, man, how much content I view. We are in a content consumption culture right? That, that is what we do. As, as a matter of fact, globally, people average almost seven hours a day of screen time. Seven hours a day. Now listen, if they work for eight hours and they sleep for seven or eight hours, you do the math and they're online for seven hours, it's, it's kind of consuming a day, right? I mean, it's consuming our, our lives. Daily screen time increased by nearly 50 minutes per day since 2013. The average American spends seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen each day. South Africans spend almost 11 hours on a screen. Almost half of children zero to two years old interact with a smartphone. I'm not trying to give parenting advice. I'm just giving you the stats, right? Generation Z averages around nine hours of screen time per day. And, and, and so what we have an entire generation, truly, that from their birth have looked at the world through the lens of a screen. And, and, and listen, I'm here to tell us tonight that what we're looking at is where we're going to end up. And it's going to be the thing that we desire. And God wants us to have a biblical prescription for our eyes. We need biblical lenses to look through. As we study this thing through the Bible, we see that, man, listen, where men looked with their eyes is ultimately where they landed. Lot is a great example. In, in the book of Genesis, Lot, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 13, you remember the, the story, maybe if you've never read that, uh, Abram and Lot had some contention. They, they both had uh, herdmen and they both had flocks and cattle and, and their herdmen were, were, were striving with each other. And, and Abraham, Abram is like, okay, look, man, no, no beef. Let's just, let's just figure it out. Let's just separate, right? And, and, and if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And let's just kind of separate. And, and in Genesis 13 and verse 10, the Bible says, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of God, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zorah. And Lot chose him, all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. You see, Lot looked after the flesh, and because what Lot was looking at pleased his eyes, he ultimately made a decision to separate from Abram and ultimately ended up, you know the story, in Sodom. But it started with his eyes. It started with what he was looking at. Even earlier in Genesis, we know the story with Adam and Eve, right? In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Listen, when Eve looked at the forbidden fruit that God had forbidden, man, she had a desire to partake, right? Look at Genesis 3 and verse 6. The woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And 1 John 2 and verse 16 tells us that we, as sinful men and women, we have this thing that is the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes that draw us in a certain direction. Many of you know the story of David. David was a man after God's own heart. God used David to do some amazing things, battle some amazing battles, get great victory in his life for God's glory. But yet David began looking in a direction that ultimately led him to make really bad decisions. He, he looked at another man's wife and ultimately, through that lens, had a desire and a direction that caused him to commit adultery. 2 Samuel 11 and verse 2, it says, It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose off from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. So, so here's what I know, and here's what you know, and here's what the Word of God knows, and here's the key in your notes. What we are looking at will affect our heart. What we are looking at will affect our heart. As a matter of fact, Lamentations chapter 3 and verse, verse 51 actually states that. It says, mine eye affecteth mine heart, because of all the daughters of my city. And, and, and listen, man, as many negative examples as I can give you, I can also give you positive examples, right? Abram, God, God told him to lift up his eyes and look on the land in Genesis 13. And Abram looked at the land that God promised him and ultimately looked through the lens of faith and believed what God said about him and, and what God said about his inheritance. And he followed God through faith. And so listen, our focus is going to determine our desire, and it's going to determine the direction of our feet. And it all begins with this command to look. And, and, and so, you know, James chapter 1, I, I don't think I put this in, in the slides, but man, the first place that we ought to be looking as, as, as children of God is into God's Word, into the perfect law of liberty, Right? Like before, before we look anywhere else, we ought to have a right relationship with God's Word. James 1 and verse 20, 25 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And listen, can I just tell you that God's Word has to become our corrective lenses 
through which we view everything in this life. God wants you to have a proper prescription, a biblical prescription, because listen, as Laodiceans, man, we're blind. We are absolutely blind. And listen, as, as, as Christians in the Laodicean church age, in the last days, we are blind. And we have to learn to look first and foremost into the Word of God, the perfect law of liberty, to have the right prescription to see everything else. And so that's the first command. And then, and then Christ tells His disciples, okay, I want you to look, lift up your eyes and look. And then He gives them a very specific place to look. He says, I want you to look on the fields. Look on the fields. Now, what Christ did not say was look on the field singular. What he did say is look on the fields plural. And we know from Matthew 13 and verse 38, the Bible teaches us that the field singular is the world, right? You guys know that. We you're a strong church, you have strong Bible teaching, you know that the field is the world. And can I just tell you that, that if, if Christ told us to look on the field, that's a little overwhelming. Like truly, truly, we talk about missions, we talk about reach conference and getting the gospel to all nations. I don't know about you, but to me, that's like a little overwhelming. Like, like that's a big task. Well, Christ says, listen, look on the fields and what I know about that is, okay, within the field, the world, there are different fields. We call them mission fields, right? And, and there's a field in, in Malawi, and there's a field in Kenya, and there's a field in Zambia, and there's a field in Hungary and Albania. And listen, if we'll look on the fields, well then, well then that's something we can kind of absorb and take in and consider. God wants us to look and listen. And listen, I think somebody said it, maybe Jeff said it yesterday, not all mission fields are made the same, right? Not all mission fields are made the same. And, and many of you in this room, you've heard about missions, many of you have been on, on trips, you've gone on medical mission trips, you've gone on short-term trips, long-term trips, you know that when you get on whatever specific field is you're going, man, God opens your eyes to the culture and to the need and to the language, you can see it. Sean's smelling the poster last night. Right? He knows. He, that's his field. And he knows what, what Kenya smells like and looks like and, and tastes like. I mean, that, that's it. And listen, there are some difficult fields for sure. Right? Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 3, it's not on the screen, but listen, uh, God talking to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. He says, break up your fallow ground, so not among the thorns. You know, some, some fields... Man, they're hard. They're difficult. Like, like, man, you can labor in a field and potentially labor for years. And all you're doing, man, is breaking up fallow ground. You're breaking up hard ground. You're, you're breaking up the rocks. You're breaking through hard soil. You're breaking through hard hearts. It's thorny. It's overgrown with the cares of the world. Some fields are just difficult. And you know that. You have missionaries that, that serve in places like that. There's cities in the United States, by the way, that are like that. But man, some fields, as the Bible tells us, they're white already to harvest. They're fertile fields. In other words, there's a harvest that, that really could be reaped now if we just had laborers there. 
And, and, and man, we're, we're focusing on sub-Saharan Africa, and we're, we're talking about places like Kenya and, and Malawi and Zambia and Tanzania. And listen, there are places in the world right now that if you went there today, well, you wouldn't make it today, but, but if you just decided today that I'm going to go there tomorrow or whatever, you could go there and be used of God and immediately see people saved and immediately, immediately see people discipled and immediately see churches planted and biblical ministry being fulfilled. Listen, but you'll never be motivated to go do that if you never lift up your eyes and look. You'll never make that jump from looking to laborer if you never go look. You and I have to go look. And listen, when you look on the fields, and, and literally, man, listen, I know you can see the field through the lens of pictures and testimonies and videos and all those different things. You can sit in New Philadelphia, Ohio and say, man, I see Kenya and Zambia and Africa. And you can. But can I just tell you that if you'll go on a short-term mission trip, if you'll get on a plane, if you'll get on a, a ship, whatever, and actually go to that place, well, man, you'll see it a whole, whole different way. It'll change your perspective. And listen, here's, here's the challenge in our life. We many times don't have the right perspective because we are not willing to go. Can I just tell you that even in New Philadelphia, if you're not careful, you won't see your own city as a field. Now, you've got a great church. And you got great leaders. They told, me, they told me how great they were at lunch today. They couldn't stop talking about themselves. That's a joke. That's, that's a joke. That's totally a joke. That's totally, that's totally a joke. But you do have a great church, and you really do have great leaders. And you got a whole new generation of people coming up through MTT and through LFBI. But listen, if you're not careful, you won't even see your own city as a field. And if you don't see your city as a field, you'll never become a laborer even in this field. And I didn't say you won't come to church. I'm just saying you won't ever become a laborer because your eyes are going to determine it. It's going to affect your heart. It's going to give you the right perspective. And so get this key in your notes. Listen, the reason some of us don't have a heart for mission is because truly we've never seen the fields. We've never seen the fields. Yeah, we've seen the, the, the slideshow. We've, we've got the brochures. We've got the prayer cards and the handouts and all those different things. But, but the reality is many of us have never seen it firsthand. And because we've never seen it firsthand, we've never developed a heart for it like God intends for us. And, and, and I think, can I just say, that if we go back to yesterday's message, I think that's an issue of priority. Because we haven't settled the issue that this is something that we must do. It's still a maybe for us. It's still a might for us. And if we maybe or might do it, that also means we maybe or might won't do it. And if we don't do it, we'll never get a heart for it. We'll never get a heart for it. And listen, as we go through the Bible, it is awesome that God brought Bradley tonight. And listen, he's right. When Christ walked on this earth, man, when he saw people in need... It moved him with compassion. I want to share a couple of those passages with you. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I know this is kingdom of heaven context. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having 
no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Man, Christ went, he saw, and he was moved with compassion. You got to go. You got to look on the fields. And listen, when you look on the fields, God is going to do something in your heart based on what you've seen. And all of a sudden, you're going to be available to do whatever God wants to do through your life. And it's going to have something to do with getting the gospel to all nations. And again, I know this is kingdom of heaven context. I know the physical aspect of this. But can I just tell you that even beyond those physical things, there's a spiritual reality People may have sickness and disease, and again, working in medical for many years, I understand that, but man, there's a spiritual reality that mirrors those physical ailments. It's a sin sin disease, so to speak. It's our nature that truly needs healing, and it can only be healed in the person of Jesus Christ, and and all those physical things that may have pointed to Israel and for us devotionally picture our sin nature, man, there's a spiritual reality. And listen, if you never go and you never see it, well, you'll never labor. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. When Jesus heard it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And again, man, we've got to look past the physical. And and man, Bradley said it. Listen, there's, there's physical needs, but there's a spiritual reality that's even more real. And that's what we're after. And and the only way we get engaged with that is by looking on the fields. And so let me ask you a question tonight. What fields are you focusing on? What fields are you focusing on? What is in your perspective? And what are you really looking at? And listen, for some of you, you need to get a heart for your city. Because New Philadelphia, no offense, is not completely reached. I'm pretty sure there's still lost people out there. And I think I heard your pastor preach a couple of weeks ago that there's still empty seats in this room. I've been reading your your notes, man, listening to your sermons, man. I I was like, I had to listen to a few of these because I'm not sure what I'm getting into when I go out here. But man, that's true. And that's every city. Man, we need to be missional in our home. And by the way, listen, if we're not missional in our home, how can we we be missional abroad? Man, were you guys here when Vinny shared last night? We're just going to go do the same thing that we're doing here because it's the right thing to do. I mean, we're changing zip codes. We're changing addresses, but it's the exact same mission. We're just going to go do that somewhere else. Well, 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 man, that's all it is. And listen, for us, we have to be focusing on some fields. And so Proverbs 31 verse 16 says this, concerning the virtuous woman, right? She considereth a field and buyeth it. And with the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. And can I just tell you, you and I will never consider what we've never seen. You know, you guys seen those weird reality shows like, like, where they have like the, the two people, they don't let them see each other, and that like, you know, married without seeing each other. It was kind of that blind date type thing, you know what I'm talking about? That weird, you know, you guys get online at all? <laughs> you don't watch that junk, yeah, it's, you're sanctified. Okay, so 
Yeah. So it's weird, man, because, you know, you got this dude and you got this girl and they, they, they never, you know, they can talk to each other digitally or whatever, but they never get to see each other. And some, some of these wacky shows even go to the full extent of actually, like, you're going to have to marry this person, right, and then see them. It's, it's really jacked up. It's weird. Man, you would ne- who would do that? Nobody would ever do that. you got to see it first, right? You, you, you can't consider what you've never seen. You wouldn't buy a car like that. You wouldn't buy a house like that. You wouldn't buy anything unseen, sight unseen. It's not good advice. And listen, you'll never, you'll never buy a field that you've never considered. And you'll never consider a field that you've never seen. Man, God's told us we need to look on the fields. We need to have a right perspective. And so for some of us, tonight is the night. We need to settle the issue. I must go. I must go. And if you need help choosing where to go, well, listen, your local church is, is scheduling mission trips. And so the first place to look is like, where is my church going? Where's my church going? Where are my leaders leading us? And get on board with that. Get on board that. Take a look on the fields. And then here's the second point, because we've got to hurry. But listen, listen, once you look, Jesus wants you to labor. He wants you to labor. And, and so pick it up again in verse 36. It says, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And, and, and so God is looking for laborers. Man, doctrinally, Jesus Christ is for sure the sower, Matthew chapter 13. And, and, and he's already laboring in this earth, and he wants us to come be a co-laborer with him. And, and, so, and so listen, in, in your notes, I really just was like, okay, how do, we, how do we as individuals labor in the mission? And how do we enter into, into labor with other men's labor? You know, it, it's interesting, the passage talks about entering into to the labor of other men. Other men have already labored. And for the disciples, Christ is telling them, hey, this, these fields are already white on the harvest. Someone sowed, someone watered. The fruit is ready to be reaped. I just need you to go reap it. And, and, and so again, man, God, there are people that are like the first people into a country or into an area or, or, or whatever, man. I think of Jeff, and I don't know if Jeff was the first guy in Albania, but man, we think about guys that are kind of the, the tip of the spear, so to speak, right? The first guy in. But can I just tell you that when guys go and do something like that, or, or uh, last, last night, or, or uh, was it last night we, t- we heard from Sean and uh, talked about the ministry of Randy Stirewalt, right, in Kenya. Been there for 41 years, and now Sean is, is coming in uh, after him. He's entering into his labor, right? Somebody's already been laboring, and yet Sean is able to come in and, by God's grace, be a part of that ministry and labor right behind him. And so how do we do that? Well, here's how we do it, three ways. Number one, we need to learn to labor in partnerships. We need to learn to labor in partnerships. That's what mission conferences are all about. We need to learn to partner personally. We need to personally partner with ministry leaders. We need to get a part of the mission field and and again, man, we've heard testimony the entire weekend of this in Kenya and what Chris is doing in Malawi. And, and listen, you may not be the first one in, but you can be the next one in. You can be the next one in. And listen, I don't know if you've heard the cry. We need help. 
There's people begging you from this pulpit that we need you to prayerfully consider partnering with us. And one of the ways you can partner is by going. And and if that's a short-term trip, a medium-term trip, or a permanent trip, you can become a co-laborer. And listen, as we study the Pauline epistles, we see nothing but teams of laborers that have worked together to propagate the gospel and plant churches through the New Testament. That's exactly how God accomplishes the mission. Philippians 2 and verse 25, Paul says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor. And Paul never labored alone. He always had a team. He always had someone that was co-laboring with him. Philippians 4 and verse 3, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, and with Clement also, and with other, my fellow laborers. Right? This thing of partnering personally in the mission. Man, it's biblical. It's biblical. And I know many times, man, we sit in church and we think, okay, that's the pastor's job or that's the leader's job. Man, it's all of our jobs. You can partner personally somehow, some way. Listen, you actually even enter into and become a co-laborer in the ministry right here in New Philadelphia. When you partner in ministry, when you get obedient to the Great Commission, even in this place, what you're doing is entering into other men's labor. Listen, you have a hundred and... How old is this church? A hundred and sixty-five-year-old church. That is something that is unique in our country, not every city had. This is an amazing testimony of God's grace in this place. And for, for generations, men and women have come to this place and preached and taught and, and ministered in this city and won people to Christ. And now you, as this generation, have the opportunity to enter in to their labors. You have an opportunity. You have to par- personally partner. And we see it all through the, the New Testament. Man, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2 and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. He calls Philemon a dearly beloved and fellow laborer in Philemon verse 1. and verse 24, he talks about Marcus and Aristarchus and Demas and Lucas, my fellow laborers. And so let me ask you the question, with whom are you laboring? Who is it that you are a co-laborer with? You say, man, I come to church. Praise God for that. But you need to settle the issue of priority. You need to settle the issue of your provision and your purpose. You need to get in the game. You need to get involved in the mission. You can do something to bring Jesus Christ honor and glory through a ministry, through your local church, and through missions abroad. You can make a difference. God wants you to make a difference. Listen, if God can use a couple of Alabama boys, no offense, he can use anybody. He can use anybody. He can use you, and he wants to use you. Number two, we need to learn to labor in prayer. We need to learn to labor in prayer, which means we need to learn to pray passionately. And I would say it like this, our missions ministry is only as strong as our prayer ministry for it. Our missions ministry is only as strong as our prayer ministry for it. And can I just tell you, I don't know how it shakes out in New Philly, but prayer meetings in Alabama, man, they're like the least attended least important service of any church. And you know, I don't want to throw shade to Huntsville and, and to our church and our people, but uh, you know, I'm in New Philly. Maybe they won't watch this. But 
man, we're like at 25, 30% on prayer meeting night. But if you ask any of our members, we would say we're serious about the mission. Well, here's what I know. If we're not laboring in prayer for the mission, we're not serious about the mission. If we're not praying passionately for God to open doors of utterance, praying for protection for our missionaries, praying for their provision and for their need, listen, we are not serious. And prayer is hard. It's labor. It's laborious. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, Paul says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us, from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also, as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Paul said, listen, your prayers for us help us. It's real. It's real. It's absolutely essential. It's absolutely needful. It's absolutely powerful and effectual. Paul confirmed it to the Corinthians. Listen, you are helping by praying for us. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 says, Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Can I just tell you, prayer is effectual. Prayer needs to be fervent. Prayer is powerful. We need to learn to labor in prayer for the mission. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25. Brethren, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. If you remember the story, he was only there three Sabbath days and got run out of, run out of, run out of town, run out of the city because of persecution. And as he writes back to them, here's the prayer request. Brethren, pray for us. And listen, I don't know a better missionary. I mean, that's a missionary prayer letter at the end of 1 Thessalonians. He, he does it again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Man, your monthly prayer meeting, when you guys schedule that and do that and, and how you do it, navigate it, man, that, it's a powerful time of laboring and co-laboring with others in ministry. Your prayers matter. We need to learn to labor in prayer. James, James 5 and verse 16, we know this verse, right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It availeth much. And we need to labor in our personal participation, and we need to learn to labor in prayer for those that we co-labor with in the ministry and then number three, we need to learn to labor in provision. And, and so the points brought to you by the letter P tonight means that we need to learn to part with our possessions. We need to learn to part with our possessions. And you see this again all the way through Scripture, right? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, Paul writes and he says, Praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, right? Philippians chapter 4, Bradley quoted this. He's like, man, I, I'm not desiring a gift, but I'm desiring fruit, that may abound to your account. You know, we can partner. You become a co-laborer in the mission with your missionaries when you support them financially. You absolutely become a co-laborer with them. You're entering into their labor. And can I just tell you, listen, as Laodicean Christians, man, 
you know, we got this problem. Revelation 3 and verse 17 reveals it. It says that we say as Laodicean Christians, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Christ says, listen, your perspective is jacked up. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I don't know in, in history, I'm, I'm, I'm just not smart enough to figure it out, but I don't know in history if there's ever been a time of more material resource available to the church than right now. And I also don't know if there's ever been a time in church history of more withholding of those possessions for the sake of our own personal fleshly desires. And we have the resources available to get the mission accomplished. God has given, we, we, we learned about that yesterday morning. When we focus on the provision, or excuse me, on the mission, God gives us the provision. When we settle the issue of priority, God gives us the provision that we need. And, and so listen, let me just review this real quick. When we personally partner with others on the field, when you go on a trip, when you support personally engaged in the mission, when you get on board with your local church, you are entering into the labors of other men. You're becoming a co-laborer. And when you prayerfully partner with missionaries that you've sent out and, and you pray for your city and you pray for your leaders, you're entering into their labors. Man, when you part with your possessions, and I'm praying for your offering, man, what an amazing opportunity to invest in Hungarian pastors. And listen, when you part with your possessions for the mission, man, you're entering into the labors. You're entering into the labor of the ministry. You see, there's that statement that, that most people know, right? Many hands make, make light work. The problem is that many times as Christians, especially Laodicean Christians, we try to fulfill the mission on spare time with spare change and minimal effort. Minimal effort. We try to see the mission accomplished with spare time, spare change, and minimal, minimal effort, and we wonder why we're not making an impact. We've got to learn to be laborers. And then let me give you the third point so we can get up out of here. But man, listen, that all of that is just the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. But even in spite of it being the right thing to do, can I just tell you that God is so good? Because God tells us in verse 36 that he that reapeth receiveth wages. There's a reward coming. And listen, and here's the third point, and it's kind of lame, but it's my South Alabama understanding, right? Jesus wants you to load up. He wants you to look. He wants you to labor, and man, just back up the pickup truck and load up. Like, like because if you'll just do what God calls you to do, listen, man, he wants to bless you. There, there's a reward that's coming, and I don't know what your motivation needs to be. It ought to be just because your father's commanded it, and you want to please the father. But, you know, if you want to do it for the reward too, whatever. <laughs> just get busy doing it. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And, and so you got two blanks left in your notes, man. Number one is reward. He that reapeth receiveth reward. So listen, I know we got a jacked up understanding of, of kind of the way this thing finishes out as Christians because we, we're all going to get to heaven and we're all going to be the same and look the same and get the same blessing and you know, sit on clouds and have the harps and wings and all that jacked up stuff that's not right, right? None of that's in the Bible. Actually, the judgment seat of Christ will actually divvy out what actually has been earned. Not for your salvation, because your salvation is in the finished work of Christ. But man, our service 
or lack thereof is really what's at stake at the judgment seat. And wages are something that you earn, right? We use Romans 6 all the time when we talk about sharing the gospel with people that the wages of sin is death. It's, it's the payment. It's, it's the reward earned for sin. It's death. Well, listen, there is a reward. There are wages for those that labor and reap. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 8 through 10. The Bible says that we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so, and so Paul's desire and confidence was, man, I just rather, I'd rather be with the Lord. But I'm not. And so since I'm not, verse 9, wherefore we labor. I'm still here, so there's still work to do. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we're made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Can I just tell you, listen man, it is a wise investment to become a laborer in the mission. Settle the issue of priority. Trust that God's going to provide Find your purpose in the mission, look on the field, and get to work. And get to work. And listen, if you'll do that, you are guaranteed a reward and wages at the judgment seat of Christ, man. And listen, we don't even deserve that. It's just the right thing to do. But if we'll do it, God will even, even reward us for it. And then the last thing is, there's going to be rejoicing, and I need to finish. But, but can I just tell you, listen, when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, Man, at the rapture of the church, at the harvest, and, and, and again, how all that stuff shakes out, it's going to be amazing. Can I just tell you that there is going to be rejoicing. There's going to be rejoicing. And man, your reward is based on your individual service to the Lord, but man, this rejoicing is going to be corporate because it's he that soweth and he that reapeth. Man, they're going to rejoice together. They're going to rejoice together. Again, Christ is the sower. Man, we're the body of Christ. We enter into his labors. And, and man, can I just tell you that when it's all said and done, it's going to be worth it. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? It's all going to be, it's all going to be worth it. So let's get to work, man. Some of us tonight, maybe the issue tonight is, maybe we settled the issue of priority last night or yesterday morning, and tonight the issue is, okay, now I need to go look. I need to go look on the field. I need to take the next step and let mine eyes affect my heart. Listen, your eyes need to affect your heart not only for the nations. Your eyes need to affect your heart for this city. Trust God to use your church and the laborers in this place to reach New Philadelphia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trust God to use you to enter in to other men's labors so that judgment seat of Christ, we can all rejoice together for his glory's sake. Amen.